listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Today we're going to be covering, by the way, uh, five reasons why God wants you to be wealthy and to prosper. Why does God want you to prosper? What's the point of that? And I'm sure many of you, if you've listened to anybody teaching uh, in this generation, hey, there's my friends, Paul and Heather Rogers, love you. Man, wish you guys were coming down this week. I know Pastor Matt's going to be here. Wish you guys were coming too. Love you. Hope to see you soon. Um, you probably heard, if you've listened to any teaching at all in the last you know, 10, 12 years, I'm sure at some point you have heard people bashing the prosperity gospel, quote unquote, which I don't believe there is such a thing. I mean, there's just the gospel. There's just what the Bible actually says. But there are people who uh, are bashing or they're against, quote unquote, prosperity gospel, the prosperity message. But our God is a God of prosperity. He wants to bless his children. And uh, in case you've never heard why, he wants to bless you. I'm taking today's session to give you five biblical reasons why God wants you to be wealthy. Five biblical reasons why God wants you to prosper. And listen, good morning, Nicole. Good morning, Jake. Um, I want I want you to understand this. I, I totally get that prosperity is more than just money. I totally get that. I understand that it's about healing in your body peace in your mind, uh, having strong and fruitful relationships. I understand that it touches every area of your life. But today, because you know many people don't understand this, there's Mama from upstate New York, love you. It's Stephanie Van Auken. Pam Bondi's in the house. Um, today, I want to talk about why it's important that God wants you to prosper financially, why he wants you to be wealthy financially. And I understand, as I said, he wants you to prosper in every area of life, every single area. Because what good does it do to have plenty of money and be dying of cancer? What good does it do uh, to have plenty of money and then, you know, your wife and family leave you forever and your kids won't speak to you again, your wife won't speak to you? And what, what good does it do if you battle suicidal thoughts all the time and you're chronically depressed? You can't even enjoy uh, your life. It, it doesn't matter to have money if those things. So I get that God wants to bless you in every area of life. But the thing people fight very, very hard in this generation is the thought process that God wants you to be financially wealthy and blessed. He wants you to be, and they, they fight against that. They say, well, that's false doctrine and people that do that are false prophets that teach that and all this. And so I'm going to show you five things from God's word, five reasons, five biblical reasons why God wants you to prosper financially and be wealthy. And he does. He absolutely does. And um, we're going to get into that in just a second. So if you didn't get a chance to share, please, please take a moment and share because this is a very, you'll see when I give you the five reasons why this is a very important message for the body of Christ today. And uh, we need to we need to be taking advantage of everything Jesus did. Good morning, Jeff. We've got to be taking advantage of everything Jesus did. Think about this. 
Think about what a slap in the face it is to Jesus if he shed his blood for somebody's salvation, for for the uh, remission of their sins, and someone hears the gospel and knows that that's for them, and they reject it and throw it back in his face and say, I don't want that, I don't care about it. What a slap in the face to the sacrifice of Christ. But go further than that. What about a, a, a believer who is saved, but hears the teaching on healing, knowing God wants to heal you. Christ took stripes upon his back to heal you physically so that sickness and disease could not take authority over your life and destroy you and kill your body. And you say, well, I don't believe that. I don't want that. I don't believe God does that. What a slap in the face to Jesus who took stripes upon his back and was crucified so that healing virtue could come into your body so that you could be made whole of every sickness and every disease. What a slap in the face. But then go on uh, further than that. Go on even further than that. God also told us through his mighty word that Jesus Christ died so that we could be wealthy. You say, well, I don't believe that's in the Bible. Let me show it to you really quick. And we'll start here. This is the book of Revelation, chapter 5. And I'm going to read you two verses, verses 11 and 12. Good morning, Adrian. Looking forward to seeing you again in just really a few weeks. Love you, man. And so uh, I want to show you this, Revelation chapter 5. This is a verse many people never get. They never understand properly, but you need to see it because it's so plain. It's so very plain. Listen to this. Now, this is uh, Revelation 5, 11 and 12. Listen, then I looked... And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Verse 12, saying with the loud voice. Now, let me stop right there. These angels are 24-7 flying around the throne of God, and they're saying this confession over and over and over and over ad infinitum. I mean, just infinitely saying this, infinitely saying this. What are they saying? Listen to what the angels are saying. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. That's Jesus. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Seven things that the angels are saying. That's Revelation 5 and verse 12. Please put these in the comments uh, section as well, those of you that are watching. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Now, let's talk about this verse for a minute because I'm sure there would be some who would say a few things about this. Well, Uh, You see that the Bible says that Jesus was slain to receive those things. So when you mention power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing, they're for Jesus. They're for him. He died to receive them for himself. But let's stop and think about that logically. Could that really be what this verse means? Because you would have to be saying, if you believe that about Revelation 5.12, you would have to be saying that Jesus had to die to get power for himself, to receive power for himself. Are you saying that Jesus didn't already have power? If he didn't, then he was a liar because he said to his disciples, all power 
is given unto me. That's what he told them. He didn't say will be given unto me. He said all power is given unto me. So understand, he didn't have to die to receive power. He already had it. Did he or did he not already raise the dead before he died? Did he not heal the sick, cleanse the leper, cast out devils, walk on water? Did he not do all of these things before he died? Yes, he did. Showing you he already had power. He didn't need to die to get power. He already had it. And he told his disciples, all power is given unto me. And so I want you to, I want you to see this now. And then, you know, you can go on further. Power and wealth. Well, Jesus already had wealth on the earth. People like to teach Jesus was poor. Prove that from the scripture. He wasn't poor. Jesus wasn't poor. In fact, he had a staff of 12 men, one of whom was his treasurer who carried his money bag and he provided for all 12 men everywhere they went and they never lacked anything. There's no poor person that has to hire a treasurer to carry their excess money. The Bible says that Judas, if you study the scripture, Judas often stole from the, from the money bag, the Bible says. But show me a scripture in the Bible where they're going to look for their money and say, oh no, we're not going to be able to go on this next uh, meeting. We're not going to be able to go, go on this next mission because we, where'd the money go? We've got no money left. Where's the Judas stealing? Now think about how big of a deal this is. Even Judas stealing from the bag did not affect the blessing of Jesus or the disciples, which shows that they had excess, shows that they had excess. When Jesus went to the cross, he was wearing a garment so costly, a seamless robe that was beautiful. It was custom made. That's what seamless means. You can't wear a robe with no seams if, unless it was made for you. A seamless robe that the guards, the Roman soldiers, literally, they, they actually canceled out or neglected the rules or the customs of, of crucifixion, which was to tear up the clothing or the garments of the one being crucified. And instead, to fulfill prophecy, they gambled over his robe so they could have it for themselves. Well, nobody's gambling over a poor person's clothing to, to have it for themselves. They did it because it was nice. In fact, people say Jesus was homeless. He had a home in, that, in Galilee. There was a time his disciples came to him. They said, Master, where are you staying? And he said, come and see. And they went and abode with him all day long until the evening. Where? In his house. Didn't say he was staying at an inn. Didn't say that he was renting a place. Didn't say that he was staying with someone. They said, he's, and they went and abode with him. Where? In his home in Galilee. And so Jesus was not homeless. <laughs> so they use verses like, well, you know, the Bible says foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. It wasn't talking about the fact that he had nothing at all was talking about the persecution for the work that he was doing, was talking about what he was doing for his father. So Jesus had means, he had excess, no question about it. He had it all through, through his ministry on the earth. In fact, Luke chapter 8 verses 1 through 3 actually says specifically that wealthy people traveled with Jesus along with the disciples and continued to give into his life and ministry from their substance. Read it for yourself. Let me, let me turn there in case you've never seen this. Luke chapter 8. Luke 8, 1 through 3. Listen to what the Bible says. 
Soon afterward, this is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Listen. Soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. Verse 2. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. So you understand, and some translations read, provided for him, meaning Jesus. So they traveled, these were wealthy people who traveled with Jesus and provided for him out of their own means. So they gave into Jesus' ministry. So Jesus wasn't going around with nothing. He had it. He didn't have to die to get wealth. He already had it. In fact, the Bible says he had to become poor. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, read that and understand he had to become poor. When? On the cross, the same time he became sickness and he became sin. Jesus never sinned, but he had to become sin. He was never sick, but he had to become sickness. Why? Took it upon his body to destroy it. And in the same way, he had to become poor. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. The Bible says it. Let's, in case you've never seen this verse, let's turn there and read it. Because these are foundational verses to understand. Listen to this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So Jesus, just like he had to become sick, sin, and just like he had to become sickness, he had to become poverty or poor so that you might become rich. So I want you to understand this. It's very important that you get this. Jesus did not have to die to get power for himself or wisdom for himself or might for himself or wealth for himself or honor for himself or glory for himself. He already had it. He was, all, he was already those things. But he got them. He died to receive them for you. It was a vicarious victory, as one preacher preached. It was a vicarious victory. He won it on your behalf. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 57, thanks be unto God who always gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He gives us the victory through Christ. So Christ won that victory for us so that we could have those things. Understand, when the veil was torn in two, you understand that power was going out and available for the whole world now, not just Jesus. And that's the powerful message. It's for everyone now. Anybody who enters the covenant with Christ has access to these blessings and should access them. You should access your covenant. Don't leave it on the table. Take it and employ it for your life. Jesus wants you to take advantage of what he purchased when he shed his blood. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Now, it's interesting to me that you have in that same uh, confession, not just wealth, but blessing. You know why? Because blessing is not wealth. Blessing brings the wealth. Blessing is a pronouncement, 
I pronounce a blessing on you. Blessing is a pronouncement. It's the cause. It's the origin of the wealth. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 10, 22, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow unto it. It's the blessing. The pronouncement of that blessing over your life from the Lord will make a person rich and add no sorrow unto it. Add no sorrow unto it. I don't have to, I don't have time to do it, but if you want to hear a phenomenal breakdown, a phenomenal breakdown on prosperity being God's will for your life, you need to go back. I'm trying to remember where the, um, where the video is. You can find it on my cousin Jonathan's YouTube channel. When I was there with him in, um, at ministers and leaders conference this last fall, Dr. Rodney had him get up one night and do, uh, take the offering. And one of the things he did is he gave a long list. I think there was over 30, 30 reasons. You know, if, if you think that uh, God is backs poverty or God wants you poor and that he's against wealth and he's for poverty, and my cousin gave like 30 some reasons why that's not the case. If you want an exhaustive list, go back and watch that video. I'm not doing this video to show you that God is for wealth. I'm doing this video to show you why he wants you wealthy, the reason behind it. And so I'm not going to take this. Uh, he already gave a phenomenal, phenomenal list that you need to go back. And I, I think he's putting it into book form. I hope that he is because it'll be a phenomenal book if he does. Um, but here I want to show you five reasons. And that's what we're going to, uh, that's what I'm going to cover right now. And so I want you to turn with me uh, in the Bible to first Matthew chapter seven, Matthew chapter seven is where we're going to begin the gospel of Matthew chapter seven. And, uh, we're going to read about the, uh, the nature of God, the nature of God, that one of the reasons, and I'd say this is the number one reason why God wants you to prosper and why he wants you to be wealthy. It's found here in Matthew chapter seven. And, um, Man, I just got back from the gym, and I'm telling you, my uh, my metabolism is going, and I'm sweating. My God. Not to mention it's like 87 here. Um, <laughs> listen to this. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, and uh, let's start with verse 7. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Let me read it. The Bible's and this is Jesus teaching, by the way. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now look at verse 9 through 11. Very important. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And so the number one, I want you to catch this, the number one reason God wants you to prosper and be wealthy is because he loves you. Somebody put it in the comments. The number one reason God wants me to prosper and be wealthy is because he loves me. Put that in the comments and know, and know it forever. It, it, it's, you know, people try to come up with all these super spiritual reasons why we need to believe it. 
Number one, he loves you. He loves you. Uh, let me just say that um, it's very important to get this too. Think about your children. Think about how you would interact with your own children. I see Dr. Jeff on there who's also a father. Dr. Jeff Williams, he's a father, not just a man of God. He has children. He loves his children. I love my children. My father loves me and my sister. And when you love your children, you want to see the best for your children. You don't want them to suffer. Not only do you not want them to suffer, you want to see them do very well. You want to see them do very well. I think about, you know, my, my two daughters and my son. I think about the fact that, you know, even I make this analogy a lot because it's very important. But, you know, when, when Christmas comes around, you know, back in December, we just finished Christmas, came into the new year. We don't buy our kids presents because they need them. Anybody watching me that's got kids knows your kid doesn't need another thing. You got stuff crammed in your house. Your closets are filled. There's stuff on the floor. If you got little kids, there's stuff all over the place. Your kids don't need another thing. You know, my wife and I talk about it every year. It's like, man, these kids are blessed. They, they don't need another thing laying around the house. It's hard for them to play with all the stuff they've got now. We don't give them gifts because they need them. We give them things because we love them. That's why we do it. We give them gifts because we love them. Do you know when I was growing up, and I've used this before, but it just, it, it's to me, it's the best it's the most telling uh, thing that I could show you is that uh, when I was growing up, you know, I'd always ask my dad before Christmas, are you excited, dad? Are you excited to open presents? Are you excited to get your presents? And my dad would say, well, you know, I, I'm, ha I'm excited about, I'm, I'm looking forward to you opening your presents. And I thought to myself back when I was a kid, how can he not be excited to open his presents? Just wants me to open, watch me open my presents. But now that I'm a father, I understand what he meant. Because the true joy now is getting to see the faces of my children when they unwrap their gifts, to see my little girl squeal and shout and jump and dance and jump up and down when they, when they open the thing and find out they got what they asked for. And to see my son get so excited, you know, he gets so excited that he doesn't even want to move on to the next present. He's like, open this one right now. I want to play with it right now. That makes me happy to see my kids excited, to see them happy, to see them blessed. I'm not doing it because they need it. I'm doing it because I love them and I want to see them blessed. Now think about this, even though that's true. I'm just a natural, imperfect man. But our Father in heaven, he is a perfect and loving heavenly Father. And that's the point Jesus is trying to make. Jesus is saying, if you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to those that ask him? And so number one, he wants to bless you and prosper you and see you wealthy because he loves you. Because he loves you. Think about this. I love my children so much, I would never, ever want to see my children struggle in any area of life. And if I did see it happening for any reason, I would step in immediately 
to ensure that they didn't have to. Think about that. Wouldn't you do the same? If you saw your children that were having a hard time going through life, struggling to get by, whatever, wouldn't you as a loving parent, if it was in your means to do it, step in and make sure they never had to struggle? I want you to think about this. If, if, if you saw that you had a daughter that was, you know, 1920, not yet married, you know, living by herself and didn't have a good job and couldn't even afford to really fill the refrigerator or keep the lights on, wouldn't you step in and buy the groceries for them? Wouldn't you step in and pay the light bill for them? Wouldn't you step in and pay the car payment for them? If you had all the means to do it, wouldn't you do it? Of course you would. Of course you would. Why? Because you love them. But far beyond that, I don't just not want to see my children uh, not struggle. I don't want to see them get to the place where they're just getting by. I want them to excel. I want them to overflow in blessing because I know that's God's desire for their life. And God, who has all resource, God is not limited by man's resource. The Bible says that uh, the cattle on a thousand hills belong to him, the silver and the gold belongs to him, and the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You understand that? The earth belongs to the Lord and the fullness thereof. And so God wants to bless you and wants you to prosper because number one, he loves you. No question about it. In fact, those of you that are watching, I want you to put it in the comments right now. God loves me enough to bless me. God loves me enough to bless me. Do you realize it all came through Christ and God did not have to send Jesus? That's why, that's why we say, by grace are you saved through faith. By grace are you saved through faith. Why do we say by grace through faith? Because the grace part was God did not have to send Jesus. He did it from his own sovereign desire to save the world because he loved the world. There's nothing we could have done to force God to send Jesus. He just chose to do it because he loves us. And all of these blessings come through Christ, as I just read in Revelation 5. They come through Christ. God loves me enough to bless me. God loves me enough to bless me. So the number one, and what I believe is the most important reason that God wants to bless us is because he loves us individually as his children. I want you to get this because there's so many people that will preach that uh, the reason God blesses his children the main reason he blesses us is to be a blessing to other people. That's not the main reason. It's clearly not the main reason. And I can prove that from the inception of God's blessing the earth. You can easily see it in scripture. It, when God created Adam and Eve, there were no other people to bless, just them. That's all there was. And God still abundantly blessed them as his only two children, Adam and Eve. He created them placed them in a garden that had everything they needed and far more, gave them dominion over the earth and gave them all things, put it under their control and God gave it to them to bless them and there was no one else to bless, nobody. It was just them. That is God's first act of blessing was giving them everything and he didn't bless them so they could be a blessing. He blessed them because he loved them. 
And that, you, by the way, if you've never heard, heard about the rule of first mention or the law of first mention, the first time something's done or mentioned in scripture is very important. It sets a precedent. It sets a precedent that God's showing you his will as he does something for the first time or says something for the first time. And so Adam and Eve, there was nobody else to bless. There was nobody else to bless. And he blessed them abundantly till they overflowed with every good thing. And God's restoring that order. He's taking us back through Christ to that Garden of Eden status where there's no want, no lack. And so I want you to see it. The number one reason, you know, this would be think, think about me. I don't bless my kids so they can be a blessing to others. I bless them because I love them. They will be a blessing to others and they are. But that's not the main reason I bless my children. It's because I love them. After they open their Christmas presents, I don't say, now get out there in the neighborhood and start being a blessing to other kids with those presents. No, take some time. Enjoy the presents. Enjoy the gifts. Enjoy yourself. I love you. I want to see you enjoy it. (laughs) It's not me saying, now that you've opened every present, go to every neighbor kid on the street and let them enjoy your gifts with you. No, that's not why I do it. And if they do it, praise God for it. My kids are a blessing, but I love them and God loves you. And God loves you so much that he puts you in position to be abundantly blessed. Number two, the second reason, and this is massive because it's a legal reason, that he is bound to his covenant to make you wealthy. He is bound to his covenant to make you wealthy. Now, if you go all the way back uh, to what he said even to Abraham, I mean, you go back to Abraham because that's really what we're taking part in, the Abrahamic covenant. God blessed Abraham. Listen to what God said to Abraham. Now the Lord said that, this is Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you and I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Think about that. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Why is that the case? Because God knew that the covenant he was making with Abraham would not end with Israel, nor would it end with Abraham's family, but that it would continue on into the new covenant through Christ. And and let me show you how it's fulfilled in the new covenant. Galatians chapter 3, Paul's teaching the church in Galatia. Listen to this. Galatians 3 and verse 29, the Bible says, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. Heirs according to the promise. So understand something. If you belong to Christ, you got in on the Abrahamic blessing. What God promised to Abraham, he promised to you. What God promised to Abraham promised you, I will bless you and make you a blessing. You're not called to be a liability to your generation. You're called to be an asset to your generation. I'm not looking for somebody to bless me. I'm looking to bless somebody else. My action is, Lord, send me someone to bless. Send me to someone to be a blessing. That's the Abrahamic covenant. I'm so blessed. I overflow. Because he loves me, now I can go and be an asset to my generation. Now I can go. I'm a part of Abraham's seed, and I am an heir 
according to the promise. Thank you, Tiffany. The YouTube video that I was referencing, uh, according uh, of my cousin Jonathan, is titled 33 Questions for Those Who Hate Prosperity. And I highly suggest that you watch the entire thing after this. 33 Questions for Those Who Hate Prosperity. Go and watch it when this broadcast is over. Listen to this. Your heirs according to the promise. So God is bound by his covenant to bring us into overwhelming blessing. Listen to this, Psalm 34 and verse 10. Psalm 34 and verse 10. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord will lack no good thing. Those who seek the Lord will lack no good thing. I hope you're catching this today. He is bound by his covenant. That means he's bound by his word and he's bound by his name. If God doesn't come through on his word, then his name has gone bad. The Bible says in Psalm 138 and verse 2 that he's magnified his word even above his name. Or another way to say it is he has backed up his word by his name, meaning the integrity of his name is the basis upon which you can believe his word. You know, there's some people you can't believe their word and you know by their reputation. Oh, who are you talking about? Rick? You talking about Richard? You talking about Daryl? Talking about Bill? Yeah, I know those guys. You can't, you can't trust them. You can't believe anything they say. What, what, why are you saying that? Because you've seen how they've operated in the past. They've gained a reputation and now their integrity is tarnished and their word can't be believed. God is not that way. The Bible says that he's not a man that he should lie nor a son, nor, nor a son of man that he should repent. So what is the Bible saying? His integrity remains and he backs up his word by the integrity of his name. And so he's bound by his word and his covenant to bless you. Listen to Matthew chapter five. And uh, where are we at here? Excuse me, not Matthew chapter five. Go with me to Psalm 80. Four. Psalm 84. Listen to this. The Bible says the Lord our God is a sun and shield and he gives favor or grace and glory and no good thing will he withhold from those that walk uprightly. Psalm 84, 11. You see that? No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. That's a promise. That's a covenant. You can go back and read Deuteronomy 28 and you can read all the blessings that come from what God said obedience brings into your life. You'll be the head, not the tail, above and not beneath. You'll be blessed when you come in, blessed when you go out, blessed in the city, blessed in the field. Everywhere you go, you'll be blessed. He is bound by his covenant to bless you without question, bound by his covenant to bless you. If you haven't done so yet, take a minute and share this broadcast. Very important broadcast. People need to hear this. Why? There are Christians that are struggling that should not have to struggle because God has a plan to bless them. Number three, the third reason God wants to bless you 
and wants to prosper you, wants you to be wealthy, is because he has a purpose to fulfill on the earth. God has a purpose to fulfill on the earth. And I want you to see this because this is one of my favorite scriptures in the entire Bible, Psalm 127. Go with me to Psalm 127 and we'll read the very first verse. Listen to this. The Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it or those who build it are working in vain. Why? Because God has a plan of something he wants to do. There is something he wants to establish. There's something, he has his own agenda. God has his own agenda. And if we are not getting in on God's agenda, then we're missing out on his resources. Because remember this, God only pays for what he orders. And if you're taking notes or writing anything down, write that down today and put it in the comments section. God only pays for what he orders. By the way, today's broadcast brought to you by the lime flavor of LaCroix. Refreshing. Thank you, Lenan. God only pays for what he orders. So I want you to understand that if we're not doing what God wants to be done, his resources aren't connected to it. But when we get involved with his purpose, his plan, his agenda, the Bible says that he pays wages to the reapers. He pays wages to the reapers. I love how Paul the Apostle taught it. He said, if you're in the military, you don't have to furnish your own armor. You don't have to furnish your own weapons. You don't have to furnish your own food. You don't have to furnish none of that. The military takes care of that for you. Nobody... Nobody goes and joins the military, and when you get there to be issued your, your weapon, no, nobody says to you, well, how come you didn't bring your own gun? Where's your gun? You know in the military you got to have a gun. How come you didn't bring one? No, they issue you one. They issue you a uniform. They issue you transportation. They issue your meals. They issue your housing. All those things that you need, they give you because you're there to carry out their purpose. And God's the same. If you've joined his army, if you've joined his team, he issues you what you need. If you're doing what he's called you to do, he provides the resources. He's not asking you to provide them. He provides them. And the Bible says, and you, many times you can read uh, the opposite of what a verse says and know the truth of it is there uh, because the, the principle is already in front of us. Look at this. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. However, flip that verse around and read it the opposite. Psalm 127 verse 1. If the Lord is building the house, those who build it will never labor in vain. If the Lord is building the house, that means that if, he, if it's something his plan is accomplishing, if it is his agenda, if it is his purpose, then anybody that attaches themselves to that purpose and plan will never be working in vain. Never. Why? Because now you're involved in God's thing and he gives you the resources to accomplish it. And when you're doing it, when you're doing what God's asked you to do, then guess what happens? Then God takes care of the ones doing it. 
God takes care. I love this. He takes care of the ones that are doing it. It's awesome because when God, when God sent out his disciples, when Christ sent out his disciples, excuse me, uh, to do the work that he'd called them to do, uh, he said, now when you go, don't take any extra change of clothes. Don't take a money bag. Don't take any of these things. He said, go. What was he, what was he trying to show them? What was he trying to prove them? He was trying to prove to them that as you go doing what I've called you to do, I will provide for you. I will uh, provide for you. Let me show you a verse of scripture when they came back from their trip. Go to Luke 22, the gospel of Luke chapter 22. Because see, when he sent them out, he said, don't take a money bag. Don't take extra clothes, extra sandals. No, he said, don't take anything. I'll provide. And now, as they are coming back from their work for the Lord, accomplishing his purpose and his agenda, Jesus asks them to prove a point. Luke 22, look at verse 35. I love this. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack any thing? And they said, nothing. You see that? Luke 22, 35. Did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. Now keep in mind here, Doubting Thomas was also in this group. And if there was even one night where they didn't have somewhere to sleep or something to eat or something to wear, I'm sure this dude would have spoken up and said, well, actually, Lord, there were a few times there where we didn't really have anything. No, every one of the disciples answered him, nothing. When I sent you out without a money bag, sandals, uh, clothes, whatever, did you lack anything? And they all said nothing. You know why? Because they were carrying out his plan and agenda. And God pays for what he orders. God always pays for what he orders. And so I want you to understand, he's proving that point to them. He's proving that point to them. And that, you know, what do you think? Jesus didn't know? Of course he knew. He wanted them to say it and he wanted them to see it. Did you lack anything? No, we didn't. Point proven, I take care of those that work for me. I take care of those. The reason many people struggle is because they're doing things the Lord never told them to do. They're actually, they have endeavors that God never put out there for them. And they've just thought, well, that'd be a good idea. That would be a good idea. That sounds good. We should do that. And they do it because it looks good, sounds good, or someone else is doing it. And then they have to provide for their own projects because God never asked them to do it, not once. And when you decide what you're going to do, I like that, Brenda. His will, his bill. That's good. His will, his bill. He pays. But when you do it, it's your bill and you've got to pay it when it's your own thing. That's why I want to get in on God's thing. And he has a reason that he wants you to be wealthy, to carry out his agenda on the earth. He wants you to have. Look at the early church. I mean, as they planted the church, the Bible says that they there was no lack among the early church. None. None. For they all had properties and lands. They don't say that doesn't sound like poor people. They had properties and lands and sold them and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And there was no lack anywhere. Anywhere. 
literally. <laughs> I mean, think about the fact, think about the fact that you had the entire early church. We're not talking about a few stragglers in a home church. We're not talking about that. We're talking about that on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were added to the church. 3,000 were added to the church. And then it kept on growing. 5,000 were added and 2,000 were added. You just, they just, but the Bible says there was no lack among them. Why? There was more than enough. They were all provided for. God blessed them all. He blessed them all. Why? They were doing his will. That's number three. So number one, the reason he wants you wealthy, because he loves you. Number two, because he's bound to his covenant to bless you. Number three, he has a purpose to fulfill on the earth. And now let me give you number four. The fourth reason God wants you to overflow and be blessed and have more than enough is so that you can bless the poor and the less fortunate. No question, God wants you to be a blessing to the poor and he wants you to be a blessing to the less fortunate. Listen to Proverbs chapter 19. This is a big one that people almost never talk about. Almost never talk about. But understand, Jesus himself said, when you do it to the least or for the least of these, you're doing it unto me. If you do it unto the least of these, you are doing it unto me. Anytime you bless the poor, it's as though you're doing it unto the Lord himself. As if he's the one you're feeding. He's the one you're clothing. He's the one you're housing. He's the one you're taking care of. The Lord loves the poor. And he's asked us to bless them. Listen to Proverbs 19 and verse 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. He will repay him for his deed. One of the reasons that God doesn't want you going to paycheck to paycheck and living under a mound of debt and not having enough and, and struggling to get by is because if you live like that, how can you ever be a blessing to anybody else who's in need? You need to overflow. You need to have far more than enough so that you can be a blessing to those that are in need. It's one of the callings of a Christian. It's one of the callings of a follower of Christ is to be a blessing to the poor. Any person that sows into this ministry, you're doing that. If you are a partner of Miracle Word Ministries, if you're a partner of what Carol and I are doing, you're already doing that. We are, we are one of the top giving ministries in the world to feed the hungry, who feeds children's, uh, children all over the world daily. Daily, we're feeding the poor, doing more than we ever have. I called them. I actually called them up and I said, hey, I want you to give me a goal because I have a desire to bless the poor. I truly do. I don't do it just to, to tick off the box of humanitarian giving. I don't know. That has nothing to do with it. I don't care if I'm ever recognized for it. I don't care if they ever put a plaque on a wall, name anything after me. I, I could care less. I want to do it because the Bible says it. And I asked them. I said, I told Jen, I said, call them up. Ask them what it would take to be in the top 1% of givers uh, to their organization. And they called back and said, you're already in the top 1%. I said, well, you call back again and ask what it's going to take to be in the top one of the top one. Because I want to be someone who obeys the word of Christ and blesses the poor. As I'm doing it, I'm doing it as under the Lord. Doing it as under the Lord. I want you to look with me at Proverbs now 28, 27. 
28, 27. Listen to this. Powerful verse of scripture. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. What does that mean, hides his eyes? Someone who hides his eyes from the poor and acts like he can't see their need. Oh, just walk faster. Don't walk past them. Quick, quick, quick. Don't, don't, don't let them stop you. People like that, that are stingy, that won't be a blessing. They've got more than enough. You know, they eat far more than they should. They've got a house bigger than they need. Three cars in the driveway. Stuff laying all over the garage. Stuff everywhere. But they won't bless the poor. He who hides his eyes will get many a curse. You, you invite a curse onto your life when you ignore those in need. Bible teaches that. But look what the Bible says. I love this. But whoever gives to the poor will not want. I don't lack any good thing. My family doesn't lack any good thing. I never will. I never will. Why? Because we do it as unto the Lord and he always will repay. Always will repay. So tithing, yes, we should do it. Giving to the church, yes, we should do it. But we should also find a way to give and be a blessing to the poor. Number four, the fourth reason God wants you wealthy is because he wants you to bless the poor. And then finally, I want to show you this. God wants you to be a spectacle of his goodness. Number five, God wants to show you off. He wants to show you off. Let me, let me give you, and that's, oh, brother, I don't want God to do that. I do. I do. Lord, show me off. Sponsored by the Miracle Word Ministries mug. Well, brother, you know, there's this false humility that goes through the church. As though uh, we should be ashamed of any blessing that we ever have. Oh, so you got a new car. Well, you know, we were able to get a deal and, uh, you know, we bought it at cost. I know the guy down there at the dealership and I've known him for years and uh, he was able to give me the car at the dealership's cost. And plus he was able to uh, drop a couple more dollars off it. Plus we had a good tax return this year. So we were able to put, why do you have to sit there and explain away any blessing that God's ever given you in your life? Why? What a foolish thing to do. God blessed you. You know, if somebody compliments something you have, whether whether they're doing it uh, tongue-in-cheek or not, whether they're doing it to kind of shame you or not, nice watch you got on there. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate that. That's my answer to everybody. You know, it doesn't matter if they're doing it, you know, with tongue. And I have, trust me, I have people that, that do it, and I'm sure you do too. People are coming, oh, that's quite a nice car you're driving. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, I really love it. Thank you. God bless me. And then a big smile. <laughs> Don't be ashamed that God's blessed you. Why would you be ashamed that Jesus Christ shed his blood and purchased for you an ability to walk in financial increase and blessing, to be a blessing to others? Let me tell you something. If religious people knew how much money that I give away every year in tithes and offerings and to the poor, they'd pee their pants. They would pee their pants. Every person that loves they knew how much money my cousin Jonathan gave away every year uh, in tithes, offerings, blessing the poor, and other things, they would pee their pants. People that love to mock the giving message and the tithing message and the blessing message and the prosperity message, they're not givers anyway. 
So they think that only all that preachers do is talk about it so that they can, you know, manipulate. Let me tell you something. If they knew how much money we gave away, they it would freak them out. It would freak them out. I guarantee you personally that we might, and I say this to give all glory to God, not to me, but I want you to understand, I'm not just telling you to do this and that I don't do it myself. I, I need you to understand that. I'm not just up here preaching. You need to be a giver. You need to be, let me tell you something. My wife and I give more away in a year than most people in America make in a year. Without question, we give away salaries. And I'm not talking about to pay our staff. I'm talking about in tithes and offerings. We give away more than people make in a year. And God put us to that place because we asked him, Lord, keep putting bigger seeds in our hand. Keep putting bigger seeds in our hand. Keep putting bigger seeds in our hand. And he, and he did it because his word declares he gives seed to the sower. If he knows you're a sower, he'll put seed in your hand. There's my friend, Daryl Norick. Love you, buddy. And so I, I want you to understand this. I'm not just up here telling you, you this is what you need to be. No, we do it. If religious people that mock this message of blessing knew what men of God do that are dedicated to the kingdom, it would freak them out. And God wants you to be blessed so that he can point his finger at you and say, that's what I can do for my children. This is what I can do for the faithful. This, You know what the Bible says in the last days? That the children of God will be like a city set on a hill, a light that cannot be hidden. A city set on a hill. You know what that means? It means that you're a spectacle. You are a spectacle. It means that everybody will be able to look up and see a lit up city on a hill. That means that you're already lifted up high above everything else and that you're lit up so that you draw attention. A city set on a hill, a light that cannot be hidden. That's who you are in these last days. And one of the ways God wants to do that is not just keeping you healthy when everybody else is sick, keeping you protected when everybody else is experiencing tragedy, keeping you holy when everybody else is sinful. No, he also wants to keep you blessed when everybody else is in crisis. Let me tell you something. When I was, when I was a young man and bought a house right before the, uh, the crash of the housing market in America, 2008, I bought a house right before that happened. And I bought a house that at the time, it was a stretch of my faith to buy the house. But let me tell you something. When like six, seven, eight people on my block were foreclosing on their home, I never was even laid on a payment. You know why? God will make you a city set on a hill, a light that cannot be hidden. He'll make you a spectacle. God wants to point at you and say, this is an example of what I can do to my children. The queen of Sheba in the Old Testament could not believe even the rumors that were going around about Solomon's blessing. So she thought she'd show up and, and show him what blessing really looks like. So she got her little caravan together with her camels and all her stuff and her servants and came all the way down to Solomon's kingdom to show him. We're going to show him what, what, we're going to show him what blessing really looks like. Love you, Ashley and Ted. And then she showed up. And the Bible says, just saw the outer regions of his uh, area with his servants and how blessed they were. And she fainted. She fainted. She thought she was going to show them what blessing was. And then she just saw the servants level of blessing. And the Bible says, and her spirit left her. She fainted, fell out. That's serious blessing where you just see the, uh, the, the prosperity of somebody's servants and fall out. You know, when you got... 
when you've got your servants taking out the trash in a platinum-lined Escalade, <laughs> and be like, I don't understand it. I don't get it. That's fine. He wants to make you a spectacle. He wants to show. Part of, part of the reason for this is because God wants to have examples of people on the earth to actually show the level of his goodness to those that don't yet serve him, that don't yet serve God. You are literally a billboard for the Lord. Did you ever think about that? You're an actual billboard, a walking, talking advertisement for the kingdom of God. Why would anybody want to serve the God that I serve if I walk around with emotional problems all the time? Why would anybody want to serve the God that I serve if I sin the same way everybody else does all the time? Why would they ever want to serve the God that I serve if I'm sick the same way everybody else is all the time? If I'm broke and poor like everybody else is? Understand, why would they ever want to be a part of something like that? What was the purpose of you even having a redeemer? You know, what's the purpose? If he can't make you holy, if he can't heal your body, if he can't bring you peace, if he can't do all the things he said he could do, what's the purpose of actually receiving him as my savior? I'm a walking, talking billboard of the kingdom of God. He didn't just make me holy, make me righteous. He healed my body and keeps me healthy. He doesn't just keep me healthy. He also keeps me in peace and joy. I don't have one suicidal thought. I'm not chronically depressed. I'll never be anxious. I'll never walk through that kind of thing. I'll walk in overwhelming joy and peace. I'll walk in health and strength. I'll walk in miracle working power. I'll see my relationships flourish and prosper. I'll be blessed financially because I obey the covenant. I'm a walking, talking billboard for the kingdom of God. No question about it. And understand this. Look, look at the book of Romans. I love this. The Bible says, or this is uh, Romans 2, 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? His grace, his mercy is supposed to lead men to repentance. His grace, and in this context, talking about salvation, but salvation includes all of the blessings of heaven. They're all found in salvation. That's why you can read scriptures like the book of Isaiah chapter 12, where the Bible says, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of your salvation. Your salvation is filled with wells, filled with wells. And in those wells are everything you need in life. Everything. Your salvation contains your healing, your peace, your joy, your prosperity, your strength. And God wants, that's right, Edward. God wants to make you a walking, talking billboard for the kingdom of God. That you can see, this is what God can do in a faithful life. Has nothing to do with me. All I am is obedient to his mighty word. That is it. That's it. But when you're obedient to that word, he'll make you a... You know, when you go into a car dealership and you stand in the showroom, what do they have for you in the showroom? They want to show you the most loaded out beautiful additions of the newest vehicles that they have available. They want to show you what's possible, what you could be driving. You ever notice that? They don't ever have like a broken down one in the showroom. Do you ever notice that you don't go in and you don't see like a smashed up one or like one that burn out on the highway? <laughs> it's always polished, waxed, you know, vacuumed, shining, 
loaded out on every package. This is the Platinum Edition. This is the, you know, this is the Denali package. That You go in, and what are they showing you? The best of the best. Why? They want to show you what's possible. This is what you could be driving. This is what you could be driving. So what do they do? They bring the nicest thing in and put it right in front of your face so you can see it. Your life should be a testimony of the goodness of God. Your life. People should ask you. I mean, literally, people should come and ask you, how are you so happy all the time? And you, many of you that are watching, you've probably had people ask you that already. How are you so happy all the time? How come every time I see you, you're laughing? Every time I see you, you're, you're, you're like so joyful. How in the world are you so happy all the time? Can I tell you something? One time my cousin and I, Jonathan, were at a uh, Buffalo Wild Wings. I think we were with Pastor Brian Tomes. And we were at a Buffalo Wild Wings in Massachusetts. And it was late, you know, because we always go to, to eat late after these services. And we're sitting in there and we're like loud and we're laughing and we're like, I mean, crying, laughing, joking, all this other stuff. And no lie, this, this actually happened. The manager of Buffalo Wild Wings pulled our server to the side and said, you need to cut those guys off right now. No more alcohol for that table. Because it was like, you know, it was like 11, 30, 12 midnight. Like we're going to have to go home. She looked at him like so odd. She was like, I haven't served them one drink yet. They haven't drank anything. <laughs> the manager was like so confused. Like, as if no one can be laughing. No one can be happy unless they've been drinking. That shows you the state of the world. That shows you what the normal person is like. The only way for me to get into joy and happiness and laugh and have a good time is to drown, to drown out my troubles and my sorrows with alcohol. Not me, man. I li literally, we're out, we're, li we're louder. <laughs> you know it's rough. When the Holy Ghost guys in the booth are, have got more ruckus going on than the drunk guys in the bar area. I mean, we, we, were, we were loud and, and raucous. So you understand, like, don't serve them any more drinks. We haven't had one to start with. We came in drunk in the Holy Ghost. And so, you know, how people ask you, how are you all so happy? How are you got so much joy all the time? Man, you're blessed. How are you so blessed? And they may not say it in those terms because they don't understand what God does. But understand they're going to find out. And God wants to make you a walking, talking billboard of his goodness and his mercy. Makes you, make you a city set on a hill. A light that cannot be hidden. I want you to write it in the comments right now before we pray. I will be a light that's impossible to hide. Put it in the comments. I will be a light that's impossible to hide. You can't hide what God's doing to me, man. You can't hide what God's doing to me. You can't hide what God's doing to me. I'm so blessed. You're so blessed. We will overflow. Anywhere we go, people will be affected by our blessing. They'll be affected by the fact that we have more than enough. I will be a light that is impossible to hide. I will be a light that is impossible to hide. So five reasons God wants you wealthy and to overflow. Number one, he loves you. Number two, he's bound by his covenant to bless you. Number three, he has a purpose to fulfill on the earth. Number four, he wants you to bless the poor. And number five, he wants to make you a walking, talking billboard for the kingdom of God. 
He wants to, you to be the proof that he is who he said he was. He wants you to be the prototype vehicle carrying his blessing that everybody can see. You are a light that's impossible to hide. If you didn't write it yet, write it. I am a light. I will be a light that's impossible to hide. That's your story in Jesus' name. You'll not miss out on your blessing because of your faithfulness. God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you. That's it. Let me pray for you now. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that in the year of 2020 that you promised us would be a year of violent increase and expedited favor, that you would put the largest seeds into their hands that they've ever sown before. Lord, for those that are your givers that are watching, maybe they've never sown a $1,000 seed in their life. Let this be the year that you put that seed in their hand to sow. Maybe there's some watching, Lord, they've never sown a five dollars or $10,000 seed, but they feel the pull in their spirit to go higher. Let this be the year, the year of violent increase, expedited favor, that they sow the largest seeds they've ever done. In Jesus' name, and Lord, as they do, we thank you that every person who sows seed is entitled to the harvest that comes back from it. In Jesus' name. So Lord, from this day, let the largest seeds go out and the largest harvest come back in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Let me encourage you to sow a seed right now. Those of you that are watching, I want you to take a moment. Those of you that are praying, you hear the Lord speaking to you. He's telling you exactly what to do. He's leading you about what seed you're to sow. It's so important because God wants you involved in this system of blessing. And it doesn't come automatically. It comes because you're a faithful sower. When you sow, you will reap. And God wants you to be involved. You know, one of the, the main reasons God set up the system of sowing and reaping is so that he could bless you. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. And I'm praying that there are those of you that are watching that will understand that God's asking you to even partner with this ministry, with Carolyn and myself, as we're doing what God's called us to do. We're asking people at a minimum to partner at $85 a month or more. That's $1,000 a year. Standing with us as we not only bless the poor, but preach the gospel all over the world. In just the next month or two, I'm getting ready to go to Hawaii. I'm going to South Africa. I'm going to Jamaica. Uh, I'm going to most likely looks like I'm going to be going back to Brazil this year. The, the, people are hungry around the world, hungry for a mighty move of the Holy Ghost. And you're a part of it. As you partner with this ministry, you're a part of what God's doing. And that's a very important thing. Let me say that every person that uh, is sowing $85 or more this month, I'm going to be sending you my friend, Pastor Alan DiDio's book, Encounter. This is a powerful book. I've been reading this. He gave me a copy when I was with him a few weeks ago. Forward is done by Dr. Rod Parsley. This is a powerful book. Listen, it's so important to understand this. God has a plan to keep you on fire so that you're stirred always in momentum to do what he's called you to do. There are people in the body of Christ who have let the fire go out. And it's time for us to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit again. Don't depend on a touch you got from God 20 years ago. This book, and that's why I love it, this book, Encounter, will show you how to have a constant interaction with the Holy Ghost that will set you in place to do what God's called you to do. The Bible says in Daniel eleven thirty two, 32, they that know their God 
will be strengthened and do exploits. I believe this is your year for exploits, to do things that are notable achievements in the body of Christ. This book will help you. We're going to send this to you as our gift to you from my friend, Pastor Alan DeDio. Uh, and this, this will be a massive blessing to you. The book is called Encounter for everybody that's sewing $85 or more. And then for everybody that's partnering with us at $1,000 or more this month, we just got in these beautiful new, this is the Life Application Study Bible. I love this. Genuine leather, uh, New Living Translation, one of my favorites. It's filled with all kinds of notes, maps, profiles on Bible characters, background on the books, the authors. This is a phenomenal study Bible. It's actually the number one study Bible in the United States of America right now. And uh, I love it. I took this copy for myself because it is phenomenal. This thing is phenomenal and you'll love it. You'll absolutely love it. So we're going to make this out to you and your family and uh, send it to you as our gift to you as well as this book by Pastor Allen for every person that partners with us this month of February at $1,000 or more. We love you so much. Once again, don't forget tonight begins Signs and Wonders Camp Meeting. And uh, it starts at 7 p.m. We're at Abundant Life Church. And uh, the address can be found at miracleword.com forward slash schedule. My father will be preaching. Uh, Bishop Rick Thomas will be preaching as well. I'll be singing and, and with the, be with the band and also preaching a little bit. It's going to be powerful. If you need a miracle, let me encourage you to get where we are at this mighty camp meeting. My dad has done this every February, I believe for the last three or four years, and it has been powerful. Miracles take place. We see people creative miracles. That's what's so wonderful. Jesus is still working mighty miracles. If you need to touch from God, get here with us Tuesday through Friday, seven o'clock each night, and then also Wednesday through Friday, 10.30 a.m. sessions. So starting tomorrow morning, 10.30 through Friday, 10.30, do not miss it. It's going to be powerful. Yes, Al, the festival I've been, all my guys will be with me. Uh, it's going to be phenomenal. And so you're not going to want to miss it, plus a few more, Al. So it's going to be really, really great. I'm looking forward to it. So do not miss that. And once again, if you've not gotten a chance to get our Miracle Word magazine, you can go to miracleword.com forward slash live and you can fill out the form. We will send you the latest edition, the winter edition. We've got a spring one coming out in just a few weeks, but this is our latest edition of Miracle Word magazine. We'll also be sending to you this devotional ebook that I wrote just for you instantly. You'll get it in the email and uh, I know it'll build your faith, help you to walk in overwhelming joy and uh, it'll be a great blessing to you. I wanna take a minute and say thank you to uh, everybody that's standing with us in partnership, everybody that's giving. We love you guys so much and we appreciate you. That's why I personally stay in touch with you by text message and uh, I do that as often as possible and people text me every single day I get prayer requests. I'm interacting with our partners, those that are staying connected with the ministry. I would like to uh, be able to text you as well. And so if you've not gotten a chance to sign up to do this, just go to miracleword.com forward slash text. And right there on that form, you can not only fill out that form, but you'll get a text from me just saying welcome and you can text me back and uh, we can stay in touch. And I'm always keeping people updated with what's going on. Love you too, Caleb very much. Thanks for hanging with me today. And uh, anytime, you know, it's interesting. It shows me that people really need a touch from God. 
Just a few weeks ago, you may have heard me say, I sent out a text on a Saturday night uh, just asking for people to send me their prayer requests because uh, I wanted to pray for you. And within 50 minutes, we got back almost 200 prayer requests from people that are in need. That shows me God's people are in need. And I love God's people. And I, I want to keep you in my prayers and keep you updated with everything the Lord's doing. So if you didn't get a chance to do it yet, miracleword.com forward slash text. I want to hear from you as soon as possible. Love you too, Jackie. Thank you. And we really hope to see you guys tonight. Uh, 7 o'clock, Abundant Life Church. It's going to be great. And then we'll be back again tomorrow morning at Signs and Wonders Camp Meeting, 10.30 a.m. Eastern. And uh, join us. If you can't be here, join us online. It's going to be a powerful, powerful week. And uh, we love you guys so much. Appreciate you. If you didn't get a chance to share the broadcast yet, do it. Have a great, great Tuesday. I love you. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. For those of you that haven't checked out Miracle Word University yet, I'm going to give you just a short preview as we're signing off. Love you guys so much. Have a powerful day. Later. So in this video, I want to quickly show you something that I was speaking about in a previous video, and that is when we were talking about the measure of faith, uh, one of the warnings that uh, I give you and that you find in the scripture is to not exceed your measure of faith. And there's a reason that we talk about this. It is, I mentioned in the uh, previous video that it's damaging to you if you try to operate outside of your measure of faith in the same way that it would be, uh, I use the analogy of going to the gym. And if you tried to lay down on the bench press and put more weight on the bar than your body can handle, although you might be able to get to that weight one day, you're not there today. And so trying to operate in that level of strength when you're not there would end up being damaging to your body. If you didn't injure your uh, shoulders or strain your muscles lifting that weight, you would actually just drop the weight on yourself and maybe crush your chest. And so it's important to understand that you should never exceed your measure of faith. As we showed you in Romans chapter 12, the Bible says God has apportioned or dealt out to every man a measure of faith. And so it's important that you understand that you are currently at a certain level of faith. And uh, as we read that, uh, I'll read it to you from the NASB in this video, uh, Romans 12, 3. The Bible says, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So there is a measure to your faith. It's at a certain level right now. You should never try to do things that are beyond that level. I'll give you an example of that in a bit, but let's look at 1 Corinthians 7, 17. 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Listen to this. Paul writes, only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. You see that? Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. So don't walk outside of the manner in which God's called you and assigned you and purposed you. Let's go on. Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. Listen to this. But we will not boast beyond our measure. You see that? 
will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere, which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach you, for we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. So understand what Paul's teaching here. We're not overextending our measure. We're not going beyond what we should be doing. We are operating within the sphere of our apportioned measure of faith. It's important to stay within your measure. Ephesians chapter four and verse seven, the Bible says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then finally, let me read to you 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11. The Bible says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God, and whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So from these verses of scripture that I'm reading you, you can see and understand that there's a measure of faith in which which you're currently standing that God has blessed you with and that you've grown to that level that as Paul taught, you should never try to operate outside of your measure of faith. And one of the ways to ensure that you never operate outside the measure of your faith, and this is so very important to listen and adhere to this thought. One of the best ways, and I'd say it's the best way to ensure you'll never operate outside your measure of faith to the harm of yourself, your family, your ministry, whatever, is to only ever do what God called you to do and only ever do what he is directing you to do. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.